Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Uh, I mean, listen, guys, I know the NFL fans and players and coaches and front office executives are very frustrated with the refs, and understandably so, but it hasn't reached bottle gate levels of frustration. Yet. 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 So we are definitely keeping our eye on that. And who better to talk some NFL action with you than your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. I mean, listen, that pad, I just want to say thank you for not completely obliterating, you know, Danny Dimes here. He was able to, you know, have that nice touchdown Golden Tate. Uh, minus the two uh, special, the one special team touchdown and then the yeah. fumble. Yeah. Uh, that's a 21-14 game. Yeah. And the uh, Pats are, you know, on the uh, backpedaling. But unfortunately, you know, those touchdowns did happen, so mm-hmm. they blew it out. Yeah, there's so much to recap in this week's edition of the ODPH Sports Show. we got to just jump right into it. Join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. And remember to use the hashtag, hashtag ODPH, when you're talking with us because we definitely want to talk to you about some sports, some pro wrestling, and all that comes with it. And we have to kick off this week's edition recapping the NFL week that was with our locks and leaps. Pad, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Well, I'll start with my lock. Uh, for my lock, I chose the Baltimore Ravens to defend the defeat the Cincinnati Bengals, which they did narrowly by a final score of twenty-three to seventeen. Andy Dalton, twenty-one of thirty-nine for two hundred and thirty-five yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Lamar Jackson, two twenty-one of thirty-three for two hundred and thirty-six yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. I have to agree with Pat on this one because this was also my pick, as was Coach Duffy's. We all took the Ravens on this one, mm-hmm. and dare I say, are we at the point? Lamar Jackson, is he the MVP? I posted this on I Facebook. I saw that post, so my answer is right now, no. Okay. Because I like Deshaun Watson for that, but I think they're definitely 1-1A. One one sure. But, I mean, yeah, Lamar Jackson's playing fantastic. What he's doing for this team right now with not only his ability to run and, and throw, he's literally Michael Vick 2.0, but a much more upgraded model. Sure. Because yes. he's able, his ability to to stay though in the pocket and still find receivers was the one thing that Michael Vick just couldn't do. No, I mean he could scramble and get yards and everything, but they always, you know, there was always that receiver that might have gotten open had he just waited a half a second. Yeah. and Lamar Jackson's doing that. Oh yeah, and he's finding them. I mean, that's one thing we all remember about Mike Vick. I mean, there was the the Madden commercial when he was on the cover of Madden years ago, where you go down to Atlanta and you go through like the theme park ride where you're playing Michael Vick dodging every famous defender at the time. You know, but like you said, he can run, he can pass. I mean, his rush, he led the Baltimore Ravens in rushing with 19 carries for 152 yards and one touchdown, uh, averaged eight yards a carry, and then his longest was 36 yards. Yeah, it's absolutely insane to see what he's doing. I mean, he's setting records at that quarterback position. Yeah. Because for coming in and taking over from Joe Flacco, Jackson has really instilled some spark in that offense has been sorely lacking the past couple seasons. And to give that dual threat of a truly mobile quarterback that is making plays and putting up points by himself. I mean, let alone Mark Ingram's on that team, too. Obviously a serviceable running back, I mean, with 52 yards and one touchdown. Having a little bit of a resurgence. Yeah, a, li- I mean, a little bit now. Yeah, you have to give him that. 
And definitely Cincinnati stepped up to challenge them. I mean, division games, hey, we always say no matter uh, whatever the record is, division rivals always step well, up. Well, and especially Baltimore came out, or not Baltimore, excuse me, uh, Cincinnati came out and it was leading 7 nothing at one point in the first quarter. And that's when I saw the score going, whoa, wait a minute. You know, Baltimore was favored by like 15 points at one point. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is kind of crazy to see. But Cincinnati definitely hung in there, which yeah. obviously without A.J. Green, their season has been <laughs> abysmal. Yeah. Dare I say, it's not what Coach's uh, leap is when we get to that section. But Cincinnati definitely has lost its way. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they're sitting at the bottom of the division of 0-6, which how wild is this? I mean, we're going in the preview show. We were saying Pittsburgh and Cleveland are going to duke it out for first place. And here we are sitting at, you know, just at the end of week six. Baltimore's in first place with 4-2 and two record. You've got Cleveland and Pittsburgh tied for second with 2-4. and four. I mean, try and say something nice about Cincinnati. Uh, it's a great town. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I mean, that's all. You, but you can't say anything nice about the Bengals. No. I mean, no. they. This is bad football they are playing. I mean, obviously, I see. I know that they were in this game against Baltimore, but I mean, what else can you say about this team? I mean, all facets of the game are just not clicking at all. No. From special teams, you know, the Buffalo game is a perfect example of their how poor their special teams can be to their defense which is suspect at best. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you've got the, you know, you got Mixon and you still got Bernard and you still got Andy Dalton, but you know, without AJ Green, I just find it hard to believe that without one playmaker on the outside that you still don't have a successful team. So, I mean, obviously this is the first uh, a coaching change. So, yeah. I mean, that could be something that's going on as well with a young coaching staff in there. Um, but I I just find it hard to believe that one loss of AJ Green one player, yeah. one wide receiver yeah. is what is really – because everybody else is still there. Well, yeah, I mean, the offense is not the best. I mean, they're they're ahead of uh, a couple of teams such as the Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Steelers, Redskins, and Titans for, for total offense. But I, the thing I think you got to look at is the total – is the defense. The defense is just God-freaking-awful. In terms of uh, yards allowed, the defense is second to last, only ahead of the Miami Dolphins. And that is, speaks volumes. Uh-huh. So Cincinnati, obviously, the season is looking to be a wash at, yeah. this, I mean, at this stage. Oh right. and six, it's it's oh and six. They got Jacksonville next week with Rams the week after. They got a bye week in week nine, and then they got Baltimore, Oakland, and Pittsburgh. I mean, they're very much in the fight for Tua. Yeah, yeah. The, and I think that they would take that route. I th- obviously, I mean, I unfortunately, I think Andy Dalton's run in Cincinnati is something that if I was him and I was Cincinnati. Something to move on from. No, yeah, that, because that's the thing with Andy Dalton is he's always been serviceable. You know, can flashes of brilliance, but it's they're few and far between. Right. But it's not a guy you can depend on come crunch time or come playoff time. No, definitely and not. They've been in the positions where he could have stepped up to do that. Yeah. And he just comes up short. I mean, let's be honest. The only time he's ever stepped up in a postseason potentially potentially uh, scenario was in. Buffalo's, you know, benefit. Yes, which I truly thank him for. So I can, I, I can say <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah, you can't. You say no ill will. Over I there. say nothing bad about Andy yeah. Dalton. He's my backup on my fantasy team, and he will remain that way behind Patrick Mahomes. But going into this, I mean, obviously Cincinnati. However, they finish out the season, if they can start mustering some wins and really kind of find out what this team is going to be made of moving forward is going to be the true question that they need to answer. Because mm-hmm. uh, at this stage, 0-6, it's, it's a wrap. Yeah. Flipping the ball to the other side, the Ravens, and like I said, Lamar Jackson is the first player in the Super Bowl era to throw for over 200 yards and a buck fi- and run on the ground for over 150 wow. in the same game. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, he's... He, like, sink that in for li- a second. Listen, I, I, I certainly don't... 
I understand your argument argument for him being MVP. Mm-hmm. I just think for what um, what he's doing versus what Deshaun Watson's doing is that uh, I mean, although the Baltimore defense hasn't played great, it's still there and it's still decent enough to win games for them. I mean, literally, Houston. If if Deshaun Watson isn't going and they take away Hopkins. That team is nothing without yeah. Watson being able to do something. Baltimore has every aspect of the game. So, I mean, if it comes down to MVP voting and Lamar Jackson wins, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm just saying for me right now, my early favorite is Deshaun. No, and, and it's definitely uh, an honest answer. I mean, I'm not saying that you should crown him all right. Like, in my opinion, though, he is. Like I said, that stat, which I got from sure. NFL.com, this was – You can't argue with the numbers. You can't argue you know? with the numbers. and. No. and the numbers and wins. I mean, sure, they've lost a couple games, but they are still looking like a playoff caliber team. And they look like the division winning team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, taking a look at how the Central is, or the North, I should say, rather, they definitely look like the cream of the crop there. I yeah. can say that if I was a team that had you know to face them, I wouldn't want to play Lamar Jackson in a playoff game. No, no, no way. No. Even, even after what happened with the Chargers last year, which was a horrid performance, yeah. that was a very different Chargers defense. I mean, even the Pats defense, I think, would have a tough time given the ability of what Lamar Jackson can do on the field. Oh, absolutely. So let's ask this. I mean, Coach, you obviously said Deshaun Watson is your MVP at this moment. Pat, who do you have as the MVP at this moment? I honestly have no idea. Like, there's not one guy that's just, like, there are great performances, but it's still kind of early for me. Like, there's not one guy that's jumping out going, that's the guy. Like I said, for me, I mean, Lamar Jackson is, is doing it right now. I mean, Mahomes has to be in that question. I know I heard on a couple of different sports shows, Christian McCaffrey is actually in the conversation. Yo, he, my God. If, if you want to say for you know a long shot, I don't think he'll win it. But, I mean, obviously you look at the job he's doing carrying Carolina on his back right now. Yeah. I wonder the last time a non-quarterback even won MVP. Probably been a while. I have well, to look it up. Yeah, I would to, think so. I'll have to check that out yeah. a little bit. I mean, but Baltimore, they're they're going to get some interesting tests coming up. Uh, they got the Seattle Seahawks this week. Uh, That's a game. In Seattle. Uh, they got a bye week in week eight. They've got the Patriots coming out of the bye week. Uh, they've got the Bengals again in week 10. Listen to this stretch. Houston, Rams, Niners. Oof. Well, let's just, I mean, let, and even right now, let's just talk about their wins are the Dolphins against the Cardinals uh, against the Steelers. Steelers. So, and that's a without, you know, any quarterback for the Steelers. Right. That was an emergency uh, quarterback. That was an overtime game. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I think that the one of these next two games, you know, especially this game going to Seattle on the road, I think that's the going to be the biggest tell because playing in Seattle can be very, very difficult. That is extremely difficult. So that, crowd I think, will, that crowd will be ready for them. I think if they can win that game, I would put them from, you know, a um, – you know, just kind of like one of the uh, elite teams mm. to more of a upper echelon, you know, team. Yeah. Like, you know, you got the pa- Patriots at the top of the pile. Yeah. You yep. know, then you got Kansas City. And I put Houston in there and Seattle, you know, and then you got Baltimore. I mean, what was the Chargers? I don't, yeah. I don't know who even knows where they're yeah. falling right now. Oof. You know, and then Minnesota, I put back in that pile again and San Francisco. So right. one of those teams can separate themselves and go to that second tier. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch with Baltimore. I mean, obviously they have all the tools right now, and they're playing at such a high level due to the quarterback play. And you think about it, the start of the season, Lamar Jackson, we didn't really expect this much out of him, but we're getting that. To take it a flip to pad and my leap, 
Uh-huh. Teddy Bridgewater. Uh-huh. Having a resurgence. Is he the real deal? <laughs> I mean, a resurgence. I mean, what what can you say about this? I mean, I wasn't expecting this by any uh, way, shape, or form. I didn't think he was capable of it. I'll be I, the first I, one to tell you. I didn't either. When Drew Brees went down, I'll be honest. I sat there going, it might be hard for the Saints to make the playoffs. And, and you know, if Drew Brees was able to come back, I didn't think things had looked as good. And I figured he'd have to go on the run of all runs and run the table to make it into the playoffs. But he's doing a heck of a job. I mean, the Saints were winners 13. 13 to 6 over Jacksonville. Yep. Pat, you got that stat line? Sure. Teddy Bridge, uh, Bridgewater, 24 of 36 for 240 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Gardner Minshew, the second, a.k.a. Uncle Rico, uh, 14 of 29 for 163 yards, uh, no touchdowns, one interception. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, from what I'm seeing from this New Orleans team is, and what's kind of fun is before when they had Drew Brees, it was such a reliance on him to score touchdowns. You know, New Orleans, they had to score 30 to win. I'll say you Br- know? Brees it had to be in the conversation for, like, breaking the single-season yard passing record every year. Yeah, mm-hmm. every, it had to be. If New Orleans doesn't put up 30, if you can hold them under 30, you can beat them. So now it's actually kind of really fun to see them winning these games, you know, 13 to 6 and, you know, maybe 14, you know, 21 or 22. You know, these lower scoring games where they're winning ugly and relying on their defense that, you know, for so long was always the issue with the Saints. That was always the problem. Just they didn't have enough on the other side of the ball to help, you know, the offense keep teams from scoring. But now they're winning these games and it's, I mean, 13 to 6 is not, if I said, 13-6, 13-6, to six, you would not think New Orleans Saints won this game. No. No, not by any means. But to see that they're winning this by defense, too. Yeah. Right. That's and, the and ugly. scariest and ugly. thing. That New Orleans has finally developed a defense. I mean, we have not really seen this since Greg Williams was defensive coordinator. Right. Way back when. Yeah, I you mean, be, that, that was probably their last good string of defense, and they had some really good players then, too. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's when they had Jonathan Vilma down there. Right. Yeah. And he was such a key key force in that defense. To see what they're doing now, though, I mean, it's truly remarkable. And especially they were going up against a Jacksonville team that is no slouch on the defensive side of the ball either. No. Yeah, even but, without Ramsey, they're still very good yeah, defensively. Then they're going to show up every game. And to see Bridgewater winning these games is really a comforting feeling if you're a Saints fan because with Drew Brees – and let's face it, he's up against Father Time. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked about this numerous times. Yeah. If Bridgewater is going to be the guy they're going to have to resign next season because I believe he's a free agent after the end of this year. Yeah, I think it was only because he almost was in Miami. Yes. Yeah. They're going to definitely have to back up the Brinks truck to keep him locked in because if he keeps winning, and obviously when Drew comes back, whenever he does, right, they have to answer that question at quarterback. Do you keep the hot hand or do you go back to Drew Brees? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think this—that's not even an argument. You go back no. to Drew Brees. This isn't. This isn't like you know uh, Nick Foles and and Minshew, you know, or Kyle Allen and Cam Newton. This I, is. I know it's Drew freaking Brees, man. I I know it's not, and I I agree. But there is some argument to be made. Sure, there is some argument. That's listen, my point. With when this. you go four and zero as a backup quarterback, and when he, listen, I mean, Giants fan, um, you know. Uh, back in the day when Phil Sims went down, you know, in comes the backup quarterback Jeff Hosteller, and they go on a run. And I mean, Phil Sims, Phil Sims got healthy, you know, towards the end of that season, could have potentially played, and instead they opted to keep Hosteller in. And same thing with uh, Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. You know, he could have potentially played in the Super Bowl, but they kept riding Nick Foles. So it's like 
you know, you got to find that that position. But the thing is, and the difference between you know a Phil Sims situation and you know uh, Carson Wentz situation is this is a two time MVP, yeah. Super Bowl winning quarterback yeah. that's still playing at a high elite level, Who, who's like top three in most, if not every, right. offensive oh, passing category. I agree, but I'm just making the argument sake. Sure, that you can have that debate. It's not going to be well, a long one. I mean, one. that's why we do a podcast yeah, to debate a- these absolutely. things. So I mean, I don't, I un- and I understand why you know you would think that because you got to ride the hot hand. I mean, if you have a goalie go down in hockey and you, your backup goalie's riding hot, you're not going to all of a sudden switch it up and put the starter back in just because, you know, when the backup's riding hot because you ride the hot hand. It's just the difference is, is this team is built and based around Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. And having to put in Ted, Teddy Bridgewater goes to show that Sean Payton actually is an elite coach and not just relying on well for so long the narrative has been you know Sean Payton doesn't need to worry about anything because he has Drew Brees but now he's going and showing you that he knows his X and O's and that he actually is an elite coach that you know he doesn't need Drew Brees to go out and win games that they they can win games so you know hats off to him and everything but you know obviously he's going to go with his guy which is Drew Brees yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at it. The only loss that Bridgewater technically is on the hook for is Week Two against the Rams, where he got thrown in the first and that, three minutes of the game. That loss Rams. doesn't even go yeah, on and him that, anyway. And that's against the and that's against the Rams, where you know the week leading, Breeze would have got all the first team reps. He would have done all the right. prep and all of this. And yeah, sure, Bridgewater might have been in the film session room, but there's a difference between knowing you're going to start and going, "I'm going to be the guy holding the clipboard on Sunday and rooting my team on." Correct. Now that he's been the guy, you know getting the first team reps and practicing with the guys and this and that, undefeated. And they still, you know, they still have Michael Thomas. They still have yeah. Alan Kamara. Yeah. And Murray, who is, you know, talk about another running back that, you know, is having a resurgence because here he comes in from Minnesota to fill in the void that Ingram left when he went to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And Murray is, you know, carrying the ball and out-touching Kamara in the run game. Who would right. have ever thought that? When we when we had our fantasy draft, Ken, I, I had the opportunity to take Murray, and I was like, I'm not going to touch him because I've seen the shtick. Uh-huh. I've seen I his Minnesota days. I've seen the you know what he can do when he is given the ball, and I thought there was no way he's going to out touch Kamara, and he's playing great. Yeah, he's playing phenomenal. I mean, Saints have such a, a well-oiled machine down there in New Orleans, and Sean Payton, in my opinion, is the second best coach in the NFL behind Belichick. Sure, I don't. I don't even think there's a debate to be had for who's number two. Payton has made magic happen here with Bridgewater, and especially they finally have the defense. I mean, before, obviously, him and Drew Brees have been that Tom Brady, Belichick, elite sure. you know, right, quarterback. Right. I mean, when you have that dynamic duo going, a lot of good things happen. So, obviously, with Brees going down, Payton has really shown his coaching skills and gotten Bridgewater to play at an elite level. Now, is he going to be the franchise moving forward? It's a question they're going to have to answer in the offseason. Yeah. I, I think that if you, this is the situation, I mean, obviously Father Time is not on Drew Brees' side. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see, unless you want to start from scratch, I mean, give it, think of in Sean Payton's terms. You still have your core. Michael Thomas is signed for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Kamara is signed. I'm pretty sure he had us an extension signed. So you have your core nucleus there that Bridgewater plays well with. You have to go with that. You can't just go and say, "All right, we're just going to plug and plug and play." You got to go with the guy that knows the system. I think it's a comforting thing for the Saints front office that you know if Drew Brees retires in the offseason this year, next year, whatever year it is, they they if they lock up Bridgewater and they have him there, going, "All right, listen, whenever that happens, that we got to cross that bridge. If Drew Brees is no longer here, he's not walking into that locker room. We know what we got." 
Exactly. I think they do need to lock him up, and obviously Sean Payton and company will take care of that in the offseason. 5-1 and one is a good thing to be in the yeah. NFC South. Yeah. As for the Jags, 2-4, uh, and four, but they still have Minshew Mania, so – you know what? What can you say about that? Yeah, I mean that's just a tough position for for Jacksonville. I mean, yeah. out goes Nick Foles, who he signed in the offseason week one, mm-hmm. and you know, in comes an untested Gunner Minshew, and you, obviously there is a market out there for you know quarterbacks, and they yeah. feel comfortable with Minshew, and it's just been a string of bad luck. Bad luck that they've had games that have been against good opponents yeah. in his. You know, really, his first run as a first-string quarterback. I think he's going to be okay. I yeah. think he's going to be I, adequate. Yeah. I don't think he. Yeah, adequate. I think is a good way. I don't think he's going to end up. You know, if he left Jacksonville or if Nick Foles retired, I don't think Jacksonville is going to say, "All right, we're satisfied with the uh, quarterback position." But I definitely think he could be the you know a Jason Garrett style you know long term backup he, yeah, on a team yeah. and, and fill yeah. in he's and the, actually not miss a beat. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he could be the filler until they get somebody that they have a little more faith in. You know who would love to have him? Either Washington or Miami. I mean, Washington or Miami would take either or any of us at quarterback at this point. But, Pat, why don't you introduce that leap? Holy cow. Well, it wasn't my leap. It was Coach Duffy's leap. That's right. But but how did you term it off air as we were discussing? Uh, It was the the Tua tank or something like that. I forget what I said. Uh, But, no, Coach Duffy, of course, chose the Miami Dolphins to defeat the Washington Redskins, which they almost did. (sighs) One would say they weren't going for two at the end of the game. They were going for... Tua. Ah, now that's, that's well done. Going, that's, that's what yeah, he was going that's for. Good, that's Pat. what he was talking about. All well there. done. Yep. So, uh, Washington Redskins defeated the Miami Dolphins by the final score of seventeen Shit, to sixteen. That was brilliant, Pad. Uh, Case Keenum uh, had went thirteen of twenty-five for one hundred and sixty-six yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Ryan Fitzpatrick twelve of eighteen for one hundred and thirty-two yards, one touchdown, no interception. Josh Rosen also saw some action with fifteen of twenty-five, uh, eighty-five yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and sacked five times painfully ow and hit a lot yeah yeah i mean what can really you say and i'm trying (laughs) i'm gonna be positive for everybody i'm not gonna try and beat these teams up because they're doing it enough themselves i'm just gonna say this uh even the folks working at the stadium down in miami knew how bad this was gonna be i read on game day that normally when anyone who's been to an nfl game knows Parking can be a little expensive at, at NFL games. Uh, they were not charging for parking at this game on Sunday. Well, I mean, listen, Miami's having a hell of a tailgate. They, their tailgates might yeah. rival that of the Buffalo Bills, yeah. but in a very adult-centered way. Very, yes. very, very different. Look it up. Yeah, I'm you, not going to go Google it. But, yeah, what can you say? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the gutsy call to go for two, yeah. whether that was ownership, wink wink nod nod making that call or that was you know uh, actual we're gonna go for the win here right you know um it was a gutsy call i mean at the end of the day you're playing for the win you're at home you know he had it in his hands and dropped it so obviously you know drake had the opportunity to catch the two-point conversion but right missed it um ryan fitzpatrick josh rosen <clears throat> throw your name in the hat and pick whoever's going to be the starting quarterback next week. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, Rosen wasn't necessarily playing bad. It's just the fact that he was getting popped in the mouth so much. The offense wasn't moving. And then on the flip side of it, you know, in comes Washington, new head coach with Bill Callahan. He said, we're going to go old school football. We are going to run, 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 which they did. Adrian Peterson had a tremendous day showing that he still has it. Trying to eat at that debt a little bit and trying to get that make those uh, extra bonuses that he might have on his contract. I mean, 118 yards from him is a great day. I mean, along a 25, 
you what else can you ask of a senior running back like that? Yeah. This had to be one of the ugliest games I watched. I actually was um, at an establishment in town and watching all the games, and I actually w- was watching this one because the Bills were off. I, I heard that it took Red Zone 36 actual physical minutes yes. till they broadcasted this game. Yeah, wow. this 36 this, minutes wow. till they were actually on Red Zone. Wow. I'm trying to find a good way to sugarcoat it, but I don't think I can. This was brutal. This, I mean, I, both, both teams are bad. I mean, listen, stats are stats. You can at me whatever you want on OD Parlay Hour. This was an awful game. And Miami, you're tanking for Tua. Go for Tua. I mean, however you want to hashtag it up, congratulations. You, you know, showed it. It's almost embarrassing, though, in this way that because, to, I mean, I don't think Tua is he's, he's, he's good, but I don't think he's going to be a franchise-changing quarterback let, at all. Let me ask you this. All right, when was the last time Alabama produced an elite-level quarterback? It's been years. Yeah. It's been years, if ever. That's why, I mean, I was watching Joe something. Namath? Yeah, I mean, I was watching something on college football, and they said that, you know, when Jalen Hurts got recruited to Alabama, it was the, uh, you know, it was the prize-winning quarterback position of Alabama. I'm like, what? I mean, they literally had fill in the blank starting at quarterback for a national championship run. Mm-hmm, right. And I mean they had uh mm. the kid that is the backup in Oakland right now who was in Buffalo AJ, or Cincinnati, uh, AJ McCarron. Yep. Uh actually he's in Houston now. He was the last quarterback that you could say was a good quarterback and he only started because the starter that was ahead of him left to go to uh Florida. Yep. Yeah, yeah Driscoll. Yeah, Driscoll yeah. went. So I mean yeah, you talk about uh, you know Alabama quarterbacks, and it's like, yeah, Tua came in as a freshman, won a national championship game after not starting all year, but I think they let the wrong guy go. Because yeah. Jalen, I mean, I know this is college right now that we're talking about, but to me, Jalen Hurts in that Oklahoma system is showing me the same thing that Kyler Murray did the year before. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and he has the same stat line as Murray did, and they've played better opponents at this point, Oklahoma, this year than they did last year. So if you're mean to tell me, that Tua is going to be the guy that you take. If I'm a team, I'm hoping Jalen Hurst falls to me at two or three. Whoever ends up getting the number one overall pick, Miami, Cincinnati, Washington, whoever it ends up being, you got to do your homework and you got to do some extra credit homework on this one because way too often have we seen in the NFL where the, the you know you got a guy coming out of college going, this guy's going to be great, he's going to be a star, he's going to be you know a Pro Bowl or Super Bowl winner, and yeah, like list the accolades, and then he comes out and takes an absolute dump on the field and sucks could Tua do that maybe could he be great who's to say but you got to do your homework on this because you don't want to set yourself back however many years it is just tanking for one player because i'm looking at the stats they're second to last in total offense only ahead of the new york jets and i'll asterisk that one it's a starting quarterback was gone for four games by 71 yards in the (laughs) in in the starting quarterback for the jets was gone for four games and then you saw what he does when he comes back yeah and then you flip it you flip it to defense they're last in total defense i mean the stat that you gave before the season started that their their uh calendar only had one player left from what was initially you know their season football calendar it it's embarrassing i mean i understand you know in basketball that you know teams will tank for a number one pick, but it's also not just for the number one pick. They it's it's just a different entity in, in the NBA because you know players in the NBA they have these grueling eighty two game seasons that for them in their mind they want to be in a place and a location that is ideal for them because they're spending you know almost two hundred days there. You know in the NFL, 
outside of training camp, you you're there for 17 weeks. Right. Whether and if you make the playoffs, then. Pff, you're gone. Well, and especially the thing with the NBA is you're playing a game in Houston one night. And right. Then, and then you're traveling up to Portland and playing another game. Whereas with the NFL, you're playing a game in Miami. You fly back home. You got a couple of days of rest. And then come Friday, oh, you got to fly out to Detroit. And then you play the game. And then you rest on You come back home on Monday and rest a few days. Whereas, like you said with the NBA, you're traveling almost yeah. God knows how many days a year. Well, and not only that. So it's like if you're a free agent and you got the potential to go to Miami or Boston – what looks more attractive to you? The fact that you're going to be on South Beach for, you know, 42 games of the year and living there 365 or going to Boston and being there for 365 days a year. And it's a different beast in the NFL because, you know, and the salary cap is different too. So in the NBA, you almost have to tank for these smaller markets to be able to attract teams. But in the NFL, with the way that contracts go and salary cap and everything, Everywhere is a destination in the NFL. Yeah, the parity in the NFL gives every team a fair sh- shot. For any free agent. For any free exactly. agent. Exactly. It's, it's it's hard to compare that to the NBA. The right. NBA, like, like you're touching on, Coach. So to tank for Tua, it's like it's embarrassing for the NFL to have this happen. That's just the way that I feel on it. No, I fully agree with you because this game, as we were talking about last week, this was a tank game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no sugarcoating about it. This is how it is. So for Miami, this was awful. And obviously your franchise has got some work to do for next year. And it's really embarrassing if the rumors are true what ownership said about making sure that they lost this game. Yeah. That is even more embarrassing. If that's true. If it's true. There's a well, lot of allegedly yeah, I mean, going listen, around I mean, that. That, but it was reported by some, you know, upper, you know, tier reporters that those things were said to the coaching staff to make sure that they came out of this game with – an L as close as possible to the, what they could get. Because if they would have won, they would have won. Like, I mean, ultimately, they weren't completely throwing the game, but ownership had put a nugget in the ear. And that's very scary if I'm Goodell. Yeah, it's very scary if it is true. Yeah. And I will say, if it is true, I would imagine Goodell and company are going to fully investigate that. Oh, for sure. You have to. You're going to see, as they say, the death sentence come down. So you thought it was bad with what they hit the Patriots with, with uh, Spygate and (laughs) all that? Forget about it. Oh, my God. Like, I'm not saying Miami would lose their franchise by any stretch, but you will see heads rolling like it's Game of Thrones. For sure. Yeah, some sort of loss of probably draft picks would be my guess. Oh, without. (laughs) Yeah. But loss of draft picks and max fines on everybody. Yeah. You, You will have a precedent set that no team will ever approach again. If this is true, and like we say, we are saying allegedly a lot because we are still trying to get some confirmations. Right. But if this turns out to be true, Miami is in more trouble than you can fully imagine. Until after the draft next year when they get to it. I'll say, say, because I'm looking at their schedule the rest of the year, and unless some of their fans show up to the the visiting team's hotel and start blaring music at 3 in the morning, I don't see how they're going to pick up a win this year. No, I mean, the only game they have Cincinnati in Week 16. Maybe that or, is, but that's a maybe at best. But that, that's yeah, a, that's, that's a, a maybe, maybe at best. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, because that's up. That's no, see, that's a home game. For that's Miami. a home game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, they've got obviously the rest of their slate against the NFC East, which you know they end their season at New England. So I mean, depending on where New England is, you know, do they throw Tom Brady into the fold or right, do they sit some of those guys? Miami playing in sure. Foxborough, Massachusetts, at the end of December. And I get it, but I'm just snow saying, on the ground. New England doesn't necessarily have the greatest backup of quarterbacks. So if maybe Brady sits the entire game, which I know is not a Belichick way, but given the fact that Miami <laughs> might be 0 and 15. Or 0-16 going he into this? He played till halftime. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me break this down for you. 
there is no chance in hell, like Vince McMahon would say, that <laughs> Belichick would even fathom the notion of sitting Brady if he thought for just one millisecond that they would be the one team Miami beats all season. Sure. I he, mean, I'd, let's not forget whatever game it was. Uh, he, he Belichick pulled Brady from the game, put the backup in. The backup threw one pick six. He put Brady right back in. Right. Well, I'm just uh, – listen, I mean, this is a real talk here because this isn't them going into an undefeated season against a really hot New York Giants team that are fighting their way to the Super Bowl and Bill Belichick saying, all right, you think that you're going to take us? We're going to give you our all. You know, this isn't that. This is an 0-15 team that stuff is down right now. Heads are down. People are desperate, fighting for jobs. Somebody might do something stupid in Miami and roll up on Tom Brady's ankle on accident, and then there goes the playoffs. So if I'm the Patriot organization, I'm looking at that game and saying, maybe we should pull the plug on him a little bit. It'll be very interesting to see, right? to say the least, of what the future holds for Miami. But dare, but dare I say, doom and gloom is the response. Very happy I'm not a Miami fan by any which way, shape, I mean, or form. You have especially. no love lost for Miami. I have no love lost, but this is like an extreme level. Like I didn't yeah. even think I could reach. Yeah. So much to discuss. We're going to keep the conversation going with the NFL after we take a quick break. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag OTPH. Join in that conversation. We'll be right back. These days, comic book stories are more mainstream than ever. Unfortunately, not everybody has the means to be able to consume all of this greatness. Well, if you were to join me, Brian Wayne, on the Cheers to Comics podcast, I will help guide you through the rabbit hole that is comic books. Whether you're a brand new reader that just walked out of the latest blockbuster summer Marvel movie event and just have to know the source material, or you're an old dog and just want to get a different perspective from another reader, this is the podcast for you. And when I say comic book podcast, this is a comic book podcast. No filler material. I save all of the the movie talk and all of the stuff outside of the illustrated written world of comic books for all of the other podcasts out there. This is for comic book junkies and aspiring comic book junkies only. So, Tune in with me, Brian Wayne, three times a week. We'll be going over dozens and dozens of books in an overviewed fashion, not necessarily a review manner. But beyond that, I hype you up every week on the books coming out on the the next week coming, as well as a bonus episode. And that could be anything from me dedicating an entire episode to uh, a single story arc, or potentially even a kick-ass interview with a badass comic book creator. So if any or all of that tickles your little fancies, join me, Brian Wayne, and the rest of Slurred Nation on the Cheers to Comic Podcast as I kick back drinks and drop all types of comic book knowledge. Cheers. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Long night. 
coming back for some more NFL talk on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Now, I called this game as a bonus leap last week, and there was a lot more controversy going on with it, and it kind of ties into what happened Monday night as well. This was the New York Jets winning over the Dallas Cowboys 24-22. Asterisk, minus Amari Cooper, minus Randall Cobb, and two or three starting tackles, which not ex- not excusing them, but that. Uh, didn't it, have their starting. It, it did offense. factor in, and there was also the returning Sam Darnold to the Man. lineup after a battle of mono. Mm-hmm. But going into the stat line pad, what you got? Yeah, so the uh, the New York Jets defeated the Dallas Cowboys by a final score of twenty four to twenty two. Dak Prescott twenty eight of forty for two hundred and seventy seven yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Sam Darnold twenty three of thirty two for three hundred and thirty eight yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So going in with this coach, what was your takeaway from the game? I mean, the my takeaway was that final drive. Yeah, and this just is what I want to talk about: five straight penalties via offense and defense. I mean, that was uncanny. I mean, first off, the five straight were all on the Jets. Yeah. Then the and then two of them were against the Cowboys. I mean, flat and. I, I know that going into the year they had talked about not trying to eat the flags, but trying necessarily not to call so many of them. And some of these pass interference calls atrocious were yeah, some of them were really bad. I mean, they were the ball was getting there at the same time that the wide receiver was hit, and you know they threw a flag, and it's like, all right, sometimes you just got to eat those. And I know you know unfortunately what happened in New Orleans is really affecting what the referees are seeing because yeah. now they don't want to be the one that missed that pass interference call that can make or break the game. So they're willing to throw the flag more than what they should be. Yeah, it's one of those situations where a game shouldn't come down to being factored in like this. But this was one of many games over the weekend that was impacted by refereeing calls. Now, sure. I, I understand you have to make a decision right there on the field. <clears throat> sure, But some of these calls, and especially during that last drive when Dallas was coming down the field, I mean, it was all within the red zone. Yeah. It, I, I believe that Dallas was third and 27 mm-hmm. and had an incomplete pass that became a f- automatic first down. It's like, oh, my, Lanta. Yeah, this just made no sense watching at home because some of the calls, and granted, I'm playing armchair quarterback. Sure. But some of those calls, you can't make that call. Right. You There's, got it. You can't. You just, you can't. No, you, there's no rhyme or reason to it because they weren't blatant. And there's contact on every play going in there. Right. But to call it five straight on the Jets, which you basically let Dallas come right down the field. The third and 27 one, while it was, I mean, the the problem was is that it was pass interference because he did grab his arm. Uh, I believe that was on Ezekiel mm-hmm. Elliott uh, when he ran that, ran that fly route. I mean, he grabbed his arm. It was for a brief moment, but it's pass interference. It's still pass interference. Yeah. yeah. So when you have to factor that into play... It just becomes a different element to the game, which it shouldn't come down to. Well, then it becomes frustrating from a fan standpoint. I mean, I, I can't put my shoes as a player and understand what they were probably going through. But, I mean, as a fan, watching the game, I'm just like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm watching them. Oh, another flag. Oh, another flag. Oh, my God, another flag. Like, that's my response to the game. It turned into a running joke. Yeah. So the fact that these calls were happening... I mean, almost it was like one of those like Buffalo Wild Wing commercials. Oh, for yeah. sure. You know, where you oh, see yeah. like a sprinkler yeah. system come up and, okay, we're going overtime. And yeah, we're just, extending the game. Yeah, it seemed like one of those. So you have to sit there and watch it. And it's like to make those calls, and especially with how important every game is. I mean, that's the one great thing about the NFL. Every game matters. Well, and that's for the, what, for the most part, made it so funny about them having pass interference calls be reviewable. 
Yeah. One's been reversed. Yeah, of One, all of them. Of, I think, like 35. Yes, I know it was over 30. It's, yeah, it's it, over 30. I but mean, just, But just the fact that one has been reversed, I think, tells you enough of the story. Right. Oh, yes, it so, does. <laughs> so how can you have an argument about it? But let alone with Dallas playing to the level of their opponent, which they did. And you you can say whatever you want. I know they started out hot, and every Cowboy fan in, in the world was going Super Bowl. Right. Oh, yes, they were. And Humble Pie came back. Now, granted, like Pat said, they were missing some players in the yeah. game. Sure, but you still had Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. You still had Dak Prescott, Mr. $40 million. And you still had, you know, Jason Wynn. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you had the timeless wonder. Yeah, the out-of-retirement Jason yeah. Wynn. Yeah, who obviously didn't come up with the game-winning shot at the end there, but enough said about that. Right, yeah. But to look at this game and say, okay, what are we talking about? We're not talking about how the Jets stepped up and Sam Darnold actually looked like a credible quarterback for the first time. <laughs> Played in, very well. In a long time, mono excluded. And Le'Veon Bell, hey, thanks for showing up. 50 hey, yards for the touchdown. No, wake up. Yeah. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the officiating and questionable calls. And then you want, Pat, do you want to jump in on no, something? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, since I found a stat. Since 1991, NFL teams are 90-1 and one when they win time of possession, total yards, turnovers, and pick up 25 first downs and convert at least 10 or more third down attempts. That one loss, Dallas on Sunday. <laughs> That's fantastic. The other one I saw, and this was an interesting point, uh, Kevin Seifert from uh, ESPN uh, brought up that you know people people are complaining about the refs with this game and then obviously the Monday night game with with Green Bay and Detroit that uh, there was an idea the coaches had that a lot of the coaches were behind in terms of a sky judge someone that could kind of like radio down and go hey you should look mm -hmm. at this hey this isn't what this is but the NFL didn't want to give somebody that much power right didn't think it was feasible might be worth a relook I yeah they were because they were talking about adding that sky cam. Yeah. In the game that they could, if they miss something that that referee has the sky cam, the ability to see over the entire, you know, over the entire play and break it down, which would have come in handy with the Green Bay Detroit game sure. last night because Lord, something about Green Bay and, and referees who say one no, the other one yes. You know, went to you know there was that I think it was Detroit went to go for a touchdown. The one one ref said touchdown, the other one said nope. You know, the one side you couldn't really tell it. I'll be honest, from the other side you couldn't really tell, but that overhead shot gave you a perfect view. I think my problem is, personally, and I, I what I miss is the old, and talking specifically about pass interference here, I miss the old college rule that it was the spot of the foul mm -hmm. mm. and not the, you know, for automatic first down because now, I mean, and not just that 15 yards. I mean, so now it makes it on these deep routes if you got burned, you know, you saw it in the uh, the Pats Gi uh, Giants game where, you know, Janaris Jenkins got absolutely obliterated on a route by uh, Edelman mm -hmm. and literally tried to tackle him. Why did he do that, you say? Because it would have only been a 15 yard foul instead of at the goal line, which is where he caught, ended up catching that pass for a touchdown. So it's like, why not make maybe the defensive backs and maybe even the wide receivers that if they know that, you know, instead of it just being a 10-yard penalty on the offense, you know, maybe it's a loss of down. Yeah. They you got, know, and now you make it, now it's hands-free. You know, now it's more open and not so much grabbing and everything. Right, but when you're causing issues like this, they're are costing games. Sure. This is where the league needs to step in. I mean, we talked about a little bit about Green Bay getting the win over Detroit 23-22 to on Monday night, and there was that questionable call about hands the to the face. Yeah. yeah, the illegal hands with Trey Fowler, which I'm reading now Bleacher Report is 
uh, running a, a story saying NFL admits officiating errors. Executive VP Troy Vincent said Monday Night Football refs made wrong call on Lions Trey Flowers. Second illegal hands to the face penalty from Bleacher Report. Yeah. This is breaking now. Well, just think about the fact that, all right, so if the the it's the spot of the foul instead of the um, – you know, instead of the 15-yard automatic first down in that Dallas Jets game, for example, mm-hmm. that Ezekiel Elliott play, now they're looking at fourth and nine instead of first and ten, and the complexion of that game completely changes. Everything flips. Everything flips. Yeah. So now maybe instead of five pass interference calls, we only get three in a row. It's it's something that they need to address. I mean, obviously, with looking at everything that happened over the weekend, even there was the what the questionable Jarvis Landry pick they said he did against Seattle. Oh, right, I mean, right. Cleveland. I mean, that changed the complexity of that game, too. When the referees are making the calls, and I understand it's very easy for us to sit back and watch and make these calls, but there has to be a better way to get better officiating on the field to let the game dictate itself. Oh, I think outside of a home plate umpire, mm-hmm. the NFL has the most difficulty, most difficult time officiating. Yeah, because these are grown men sure. in full equipment, sure, literally moving at fifteen to twenty miles per hour on any given play, sure, at any given moment. And they're running across you. Yeah, you know, I mean, think about the the line, the head judge that has to line up right where the middle linebacker does. Yeah, and then the back referee that lines up ten yards by the tailback on some plays. I mean, it is a yeah. no win situation well, for where you put them because it is all dangerous for those two officiate right. officials. And, and especially you get these guys who you know you got these referees who you know they're obviously in great shape and they're in great physical form. But you got to get these guys who aren't athletes like some of these players on the field trying to keep up with guys right. who, who can run absurdly fast speeds. Like, I'm sorry, like the guy goes out of bounds and I'm chugging behind this guy. I might not see the guy because I'll be honest, if I got a guy, you know, like Deshaun Watts, or Deshaun Jackson or Julian Edelman who can outrun me at the blink of an eye. All right. It's going to be hard for me to make a call if they're 15, 20 yards ahead of me. But that's the also where the problem, though, is with the overruling judge that you know, so what is going to happen? I mean, it, it's a really, it's a no win because all right, so he sees something on a play, so what is he going to do? Buzzer down, you know, and say, hey, you missed a holding call on a on a cornerback on the Hold, opposite yeah. side. Holding happens every uh, yeah. I series. mean, it's, it's just like, that's going to really kill and hamper the game even more. It's just going to be a situation that moving forward with the season, the NFL really needs to work with their officials about making the best judgment possible. In right. the situation of the moment, which, like I say, it's easy for us to sit here and, and critique. Right. But there has to be some translation on the field because we gave you three examples this weekend of how games were changed because of atrocious calls. Well, think about the crown rule. Yeah. And how that has evolved yeah. from week one of the preseason last year to has that even been called this year? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, so that has gone since past. So it's like I know, and you can't get rid of pass interference. There just there needs to be some sort of um, of definition. Oh, another perfect example: landing on the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, that literally is open to interpretation by any given official. That and it's those inconsistencies that give it a problem because you know you might have a Bills Jets game where you know all of a sudden Josh Allen gets completely absolutely landed on by a three hundred pound defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a division game, huge rivalry. They don't call it. But then all of a sudden you have Minnesota playing the Chargers, and the same thing happened to Kirk Cousins, and then it's a flag. The consistency issue is probably the biggest factor in all this. Right. You you have to call it equal for all games and all plays, which I understand they are trying to do. And I, I keep drilling this point home. 
I understand it's a human error, but when do you have to start saying, how do you fix the human error? Right. That's where the line has to be made because, like we said, big games this season that have been now costed two teams wins. Yep. Which could have playoff implications. I mean, I think I was reading the stat, and I can't remember where I was. If Detroit had won that game, which, I mean, obviously you can argue yeah. they were on pace to win, but then again you give Aaron Rodgers how many chances in a fourth quarter. You can't uh-huh. kick field goals against Detroit, against Green Bay. Uh, Dallas I, showed you that. I don't count Aaron Rodgers out unless he's you know got his butt up against his own end zone. Exactly. For th- and I don't even count him out then. Yeah, <laughs> this is one point. of those situations where, like, Detroit, if they had won, would have been first place in the division. Now right. they're in last because of a tie. Yeah. Right. It's it's one of those factors that this could have a playoff implication. And this is a good Detroit team that arguably should be in the running for a playoff position. Yeah, the job Matt Patricia has done there, Yeah, you have to applaud so far. I mean, they look like a different team than we've seen in years past. Which yeah. Impl- applaud them about that. But this could also cost them a playoff shot. Same thing yeah. with Dallas, which – Say what you will about the Cowboys. And say what you will about that terrible NFC East. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they might be outside looking in by the time it's all said and done. The, the Giants, Giants are one game back. Yes. Yeah. Like the, the Messiah is carrying boom. the team right there. I mean, the, the wrap fir- your head around that real the, quick. The first team place team in the NFC East is currently tied, Philadelphia and Dallas. They both have a win percentage of 500. That's a, that's by default, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Somebody yeah. has to win the division. Yeah, which, I mean, we don't know yet. I mean, it's going to come down to something. Like, somebody's going to crown. That's what it is. It's either division record or conference record because other than that, they've got identical home record, identical away record. They, Dallas has got one more uh, divisional win, and but they uh, – and then the conference record is almost like that. Unless, uh, it's real bad. Unless, yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> I, I, I can see this coming down to points scored total and, like, breaking down. Oh, it's it's so bad right it now. It could be. But this is where, like I say, another situation where wins and losses matter so sure. much. And this yeah. is how the well, – the Jets win that. The, the Dallas wins that game. Their first place right now. Game up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a huge factor going for them. So this is where to wrap up the segment about it, though. This is where the NFL needs to come together and figure out. Come okay. Together. Overplays <laughs> on the games. Thank you very much. Karaoke is done here. Yeah. But, but the point is about it, though. They need to come together and they need to figure out a, a standard and practice moving forward. Well, that everything's just – it's clear-cut. You can't argue about it. This is how it is. If it's not, this is not – you can't call it. Well, the first step was giving the referees full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. That was step one. Now, what's step two? Well, they're, they're obviously going to put their heads together and try and figure something out because they can't, they can't take another couple weeks of this. It's just going to start to look uglier than it already is. It's brutal. Uh, but uh, what I fear, what they really need to do is they really, I don't know who you got to get. I, you know, former officials, former head coaches, former pl- whatever it is, they got to get a – crew together sit down hash this out and figure out what you got to do and the only way that's going to happen is if something like what we saw on sunday with these missed calls and these blown calls that are egregious and just bad and just not there phantom calls happens in the super bowl it comes down to the playoffs i think that's where it's going to strike first super bowl could be even more devastating well look what happened with, i mean again back to new orleans you know we thought all right make pass interference reviewable and that still hasn't changed anything. So, I mean, it's like, all right, we do, we make the change. And it's almost like the NFL just says, all right, you know, we hear you, we hear you. You know, to be past fair, interference will be reviewable, but we're never going to give you one. Well, to be fair, though, I haven't, at least in my viewing, I haven't seen anything near as close as what we saw in New Orleans last year in the playoffs. Well, there's been stuff that, sure. that depending on who you are and depending on what team you're playing for, you can look at that and go, oh, that's a clear pass interference. That's clearly not. But then you go and look at it and you go, eh, maybe, maybe not. 
like you say, you have to make a judgment call right on the field. Yeah. But this is where the question is, is it going to come down to more eyes being involved? Are we going to have to start dragging the games out longer to review calls? And is it going to come down to a situation where the commissioner and company in New York are going to have to sit there and watch a play and make a call and be the somewhat Supreme Court ruling of overruling the officials on the field? I think that's what you might have to do because I know Major League Baseball does that. When they go to their reviews, they put on the headset and they're talking to somebody at Major League Baseball headquarters in New York who's looking at the play, and the and NFL is much the same way. NFL, they've got all the camera access, and with Major League Baseball, they've got both team broadcast feeds. And somebody in New York is looking at it going, Okay, this is what it is. I think that's what you got to do because you got a ref who might be caught up in the heat of the moment or, or whatever it is. You know, emotions might play into it and they might make a call one way or other. But, but if you got somebody who's sitting in New York who's not in the middle of all this and just kind of sitting there doing their job, that's where you might start getting some better calls. This is a highly debatable topic right now. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your definition of how this can get fixed? I want to know. What do you see being the way to fix the bad officiating. There has to be a way because if this keeps snowballing, like the direction it did this weekend, can you only imagine how we get to games in December and oh, the playoffs? Lord. I mean, these could be playoff teams on the line. This could be draft picks that they're going to lose or make shift. I mean, everything could get shifted all over the place. I mean, just think mm-hmm. if Detroit goes on not to, you know, because of that tie in this loss, not to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you saw what happened with a simple pass interference call last year against New Orleans. What if it's multiple teams getting affected now? That's the question I pose. So hit us up on that hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation. What do you think would be the best way to fix the officiating problem in the NFL? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Kyle. And Nick. And we're from Dem Fancy Dinosaurs, a weekly comedy podcast revolving around movies, TV shows, and pop culture. We release a new episode every Thursday. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts? Why did you say that like a question? I don't know. Okay, anyway, yes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any of the podcatchers. Or you can look up www.demfancydinosaurs.com. Thanks, guys. Stay fancy and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Time to run the ropes on this edition of the ODPH podcast, giving you some wrestling recap of everything that's been going on. We are talking some spoilers if you're not caught up. But dare I say, the biggest news of the weekend had to be the WWE draft. Mm-hmm. Big week. Yeah. Big week. So let me ask the panel, what is your thoughts about the draft? It's entirely unnecessary. I get why they do it, and I get it's to separate the superstars and nobody's crossing over anymore, but it was a joke. It was completely unnecessary, and, you know, from from bringing in the, you know, celebrities or personalities from the various networks was completely forced and, and not believable in any way, shape, or form. Oh, for sure. To... You know, the war rooms, which, the you know, the one from, from Monday Night Raw, because I didn't watch SmackDown, where the one computer screen was on a video of a peacock the entire time. Yeah, I thought the draft rooms were completely just utterly stupid, yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. 
just, I mean, I have, I have a friend who is a non-wrestling guy, and he was texting me, and he was like, why is Troy Aikman and Joe Buck on SmackDown right now? Yeah. And I was like, they're breaking down draft analysis. And he goes, what do they know about wrestling? Yeah, exactly. And I go, I don't know. I don't even like to hear their color commentary and play-by-play, so I certainly don't want to see them on my wrestling screen. I fully agree. Like, I'll say the only one that, to me seemed semi-believable and not even fully believable was when they brought in uh, Jim Cramer from uh, CNBC or whatever it was, the stock show. Yeah, yeah Mad he, Money. Mad Money. And he comes in and he's, you know, the high energy and pushing buttons and this, that. Right. That was the only one to me out of the entire group that I'm like, all right, even if he's not a fan and he hasn't watched anything in maybe 30 years, seems believable. Like the War Rooms could have been a good idea because I the story that they're trying to write is that it is USA versus Fox and it could have worked. But when you put the Fox football robot yeah and the tv screen like you could have hired a bunch of random street actors to come in and play executives and celebrate when they make a draft pick you could and have, instead you could have, you've done that you did this you could have brought in executives from your own company sure well yeah sure you like, could have like just brought in and got brought in enough folks from your offices up in stanford connecticut and go hey we're gonna pre-film stuff for SmackDown and Raw. When we say action, just act like you're you're in a meeting. Yeah, you, I mean, you very well They've could have had that. you could have had you know whoever is the executive producer of Raw and the executive writers of SmackDown have their own rooms and do the do it that way, and it would have looked great. But you went corny. You went you know you know the one guy from the wall the Raw War Room was wearing face paint like the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, that was oh yeah. god, why the whole so con- bad the whole concept of doing the draft. Just fell flat in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I thought NXT was going to be involved. I did and, too, and that ha- to that went very, nowhere. Well, to a very small degree, you know, with obviously the Street Profits getting uh, moved over to Monday Night Raw, but you know, just the whole thing felt forced and was completely unnecessary. Like I was hanging out, you know, with my girlfriend on Friday, and we were out and about, and I was kind of keeping an eye on how things were going, and I saw a tweet on Twitter where they're like, "I can't." Somebody was like, "I can't believe we're 25 minutes into SmackDown and nothing's been said about or done about the draft yet." No, because how they did it was they had Stephanie McMahon come out and read off the picks for both brands, which is fine. That's fine. Goodell comes out and does it. Adam Silver comes out and does it. Sure, that's fine. Sure, but I thought what was odd, at least for me was she read them off without like a pause, like somebody was running and turning in the picks. Agreed. And I thought how they tried explaining it was like a tag team could get drafted, and obviously since SmackDown is a shorter show than Raw, they had more Raw uh, Yeah, more picks. I know. They get three picks to their one, yeah, like something weird th- like th- that. Just like the weird logic behind it was. Yeah, right. And then they show the cringeworthy war rooms, which just looks so fake. Mm-hmm. And I understand that with Fox now being involved, they wanted to make it have a – a more real, sports feel, a, a ne- real yeah. sports network type feel, and I just thought it came off so bad that I, it just there was no like real emotions. Like if they had different wrestlers in there with the war room, that would make it may some legitimacy to it. I, I thought it would have been okay. I think the show has looked more cartoony since it's been on Fox. I agree, which is the exact opposite approach of what Fox was originally, you know, rumored to want. I haven't been able to catch a SmackDown yet, so I couldn't say. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, from what I've seen of SmackDown, when I've watched bits and pieces of it, it's just it's looked even more 80s-ish than it has, you know, sports. But I think that that's what they want out of it. I honestly think. Yeah, that I don't. I don't. At this point, I don't even know what Fox wants. I <laughs> no, no. The the gist I get is they want to take it back to like the throwback era of wrestling. Which, if they want to go that route with it, sure. You know what? I'll give. I'll, I'll say okay. But with SmackDown, where we're used to is they used to, they were the better brand of having matches. Right. We're not seeing that right now. 
And obviously with the picks they did, and I'm just going to go skim the, the first picks of everybody. Obviously the number one pick of overall was too raw, and that was Becky Lynch. Right. Number two was Roman Reigns to SmackDown. Yep. Three was the OC. Put to Raw. Put to Raw. All three of them, Gallows, Anderson, and AJ Styles. Four was Bray Wyatt. And then five was Drew McIntyre to, sure. to Raw, which I don't really struggle with too no. much. No. And then as the draft starts progressing, I thought there were some interesting picks thrown in. Right. I mean, I'll just run through the list real quick. After that, for round two, Randy Orton went to Raw, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. He's uh, always been a SmackDown guy. Yeah. Uh, Sasha Banks moved over to SmackDown. Ricochet stayed on Raw. Uh, Braun Strowman switched over to SmackDown while Bobby Lashley moved over, or stayed on Raw. Excuse me. Uh, for round three, Alexa Bliss stayed on Raw. Uh, Lacey Evans moved over to SmackDown. Uh, Kevin Owens moved over to Raw, and I think he's trying, little side thing, I think he's trying to like make something out of this because he had a tweet over the weekend, I think it was, where apparently he filmed a sort of interview segment with one of the folks you know, regarding his reaction about being drafted in the third round, and apparently it didn't get shared on any of their social medias or something. So whether that's true or not, I don't know, but hey, it's an interesting story. Hmm. Well, think about how hot he's got to be, too, with that yeah. run that he was having on SmackDown now to move back to Raw. Yeah, uh, obviously the Revival uh, stayed on SmackDown. Duh, they're the tag team champions over there. Uh, Natalia stayed on Raw. Uh, to close out the first night, you had the Viking Raiders stay on Raw. Lucha House Party moved over to SmackDown. Nikki Cross uh, stayed on Raw. Heavy Machinery stayed on SmackDown, and then you had the Street Profits move up from NXT to Monday Night Raw. So obviously there was no real shakeups or surprises on no. this one other than Street Profits got called up. Lacey Evans getting drafted as high as she did I yeah. thought was real surprising. They're up on her, though. Yeah. But, but I thought what was very odd, and Pat touched upon this a little bit, all the champions on their current brands stayed put. Mm-hmm. Nobody moved. Which, come on. But, I mean, I, but if you want to give this a real shakeup feel... Right. Wouldn't you move a champion here and there? Or? But they've done that for every superstar shakeup. <laughs> yeah, I was just going like to say. the SmackDown, or excuse me, the, the U.S. championship at one point was on SmackDown, and then the next superstar shakeup, it moved to Raw, and then the IC title moved from Raw to SmackDown. Like, they just flipped that for every sh- uh, shakeup. But, but see, like, what I thought they should have done is had the champion defend, and if they lost, then they were fair game to get moved or something. I mean, like, they, well, I mean but they did. The Raw Tag Team Championships got defended by Sigler and Rude. They lost and got moved. Right, but th- th- like I was saying, they should have done it with every champion. I think the problem with the championships is is that if it uh, then you know go back to the oh six you know oh five draft where it was brand specific because then it's just it's there and right. you know what you're you know you know the players that you're getting. Mm-hmm. I mean that's the whole point of why the universal title is red. Yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. the raw title, and yeah, that's yeah. the whole point of the world title is that it was on SmackDown. It's like. I always, and I stand, I mean, I know that it won't happen now because Fox is very specific on wanting the brand split. I just don't understand why the championship should just be uniformed. Mm-hmm. It should be one Raw championship or one WWE championship, one Intercontinental, one U.S., you know, one uh, tag team title and one women's uh, title, and they just, the champion goes and challenges whoever's the number one contender. Sure, and and that's just the way that it goes. It, it would make a lot more sense to do it. But. I just to me, it would because I mean, logistically, it's just you know when you break up the brands and you have that many championships, I feel like it just dilutes the pool because there's not enough currently. The way that things are, there's just not enough top tier talent that can carry you know each show and be number one contenders for each show because when you look at raw it's like all right who's gonna now he was uh seth rollins was just in a feud with bray wyatt 
Right. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here now? Like, who is uh, up tier enough to be his number one contender? Probably AJ Styles. Well, I'm going to throw a little curveball because there was somebody that got drafted on Monday night that I think is now going to get slowly set up for that. Okay. Alistair Black. Ooh, okay. Okay. Because there's certain wrestlers, when you break it down, I mean, we're not going to break down everybody who got moved. Right. But there's certain notable ones that definitely got called to Raw or SmackDown that I thought were very interesting. Right. I thought for Raw and having uh, Umberto Carrillo get mm-hmm. called up, I mean, he's been mm-hmm. on 205 Live. He's absolutely been killing it. The Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kari Sane, right. which I am fully banking they're going to set up an Asuka-Becky Lynch feud. That's okay. got to be coming. For sure. That I think as soon as they get rid of them um, or break that team up, that's going to happen. And I thought that with the team or the wrestlers, rather, that were drafted for Raw, they fit Paul Heyman very well. Oh, yeah. And they're all Paul Heyman guys sure, and girls. Sure, sure. Like that brand is definitely catered to him. When you take a look at SmackDown, though, I mean they have a lot of na- a lot of names, a lot of quality talent sure, on their roster, sure. but it's also not really jumping out too much of like a shakeup per se. I mean, the only one that really kind of seemed like they got moved over was the Miz, who's been on Raw forever, and Ziggler and Rude. But I mean, that's really I mean, not moving the needle. They've moved the Miz like a hot potato. You know, he'll be huh. on, he'll be on one brand for a year, and then come the next shakeup, uh, he's on the other brand for a year, right. and then they toss him back. But I think that's what you know. It goes to what you're saying, though, that SmackDown's really always been kind of the the wrestling brand. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it was always catered as when the original split happened. Then the next split that they did, and and now this, you know, it's almost. You know, the opposite. You know, Raw is going to be the, the wrestling heavy show, and then SmackDown's going to be the more of the segment show. You know, I yeah. mean, and Raw's still going to have its segment because sure. it's three hours long, but I mean, the just the feud that you talked about, you know, with the pen- potential of Aleister Black and Seth Rollins, I mean, has me absolutely signed up for that because it would be tremendous. I Aleister Black is awesome. He can go in the ring. And he's believable, a Heyman character. And he's, yeah, he's a Heyman type guy. So, I mean, it works really well. Him as the universal champion, I don't necessarily see it working in Vince's eyes, but I like the idea of it. I think that if it was going to work, I mean, Vince might be more open to it because Paul has definitely made magic happen with People that he's pushed that Vince has never really thought could do it. I mean, Eddie Guerrero goes yep. to mind right away. Punk. Yep. You know, it's certain wrestlers, when, when they get the Heyman rub, so to speak, they really get to be elevated. And I think looking at this roster, I mean, Aleister Black is the first name that jumped out at me. I said, you know what? Perfect sense. And especially there's a lot of free agents that are yeah, technically oh yeah. still out there. Which, oh, yeah. How that works, though, is so weird. Right. So the the, the list I pulled off of NoDQ.com, this is their list of, you know, who are quote-unquote free agents, but there are some missing names that, you know, didn't get drafted and aren't listed on here. Uh, they have AOP, Matt Hardy, Cesaro, The Iconics, Luke Harper, Fire and Desire, Drake Maverick, Dana Brooke, Hawkins and Ryder, Mojo Rawley, No Way Jose, and Sarah Logan listed. But like I said, there's some obvious names on there that if you know anything and have been watching wrestling the last couple of you know, months or years, you know are missing on that. Okay, we listed Matt Hardy. Jeff Hardy's not listed there. Ruby Riot's not listed there. You know, So there's some obvious other ones. There's some definitely names out there that I think they can plug in shows. It just depends on what they want to keep as a surprise. Because this was the one that I thought some teams or some wrestlers that were named I thought was kind of surprising over some that weren't. I mean, the Lucha House Party getting drafted, I thought was kind of surprising. So weird. I mean, it's nothing against them. I think they're quality wrestlers. I just think for the amount of 205 live talent that was drafted, 
I thought was kind of interesting to a degree just because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really think of them too much other than just what they do on their own show. Right. And for the Luchas, unfortunately, all they've been doing is doing the jobs on the shows. I mean, they haven't really had uh, title runs or anything no. like that. And it's, it's a shame, in my opinion, because, I mean, Callisto, Metal Leak, and um, Lince Dorado have always put on great shows. Somebody's got to lose. So Yeah, somebody always oh, has yeah. to. So, I mean, obviously seeing this, I think they've left the door open for – making some changes happen. And with the new regimes taking over this week, we'll see the full rosters on each show now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that will be probably the most telling thing. I mean, obviously, Raw still had the draft last night, so, I mean, SmackDown will kind of be the first show that we see with its roster and kind of, you know, using everything. So that will be interesting to see, you know, the direction and path that they take because, you know, with Brock being the champion, obviously they're setting him up with Cain Velasquez for uh, mm-hmm. – for, um, for crown, crown royal crown royal so i mean it'll be interesting to see the direction crown that they crown jewel crown jewel it's like crown royal is a drink sure i will be probably having hey, I mean, what you're thinking show, about so, right yeah. now yeah so i mean you, obviously that path is already set up so it's going to be yeah. interesting to see you know who fits in there i mean you obviously saw how brock was treated when he had the raw championship and it makes for a difficult show oh, because yeah. the champion's not there yeah well how they're booking that pay-per-view too um, which is happening Halloween, I believe, here in the States. Yeah, Halloween the 31st, at like yep. 1 in the afternoon Eastern. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's break that down quick because, I mean, the, the shows weren't really anything too much to write home about. No. I know the Lashley-Lana segment was yeah. kind of awkward. And, How and did that make it on TV before 10 o'clock? And Seth burning down the and, and Firefly Funhouse. Yeah, which I'm now questioning, and I'm going to kind of touch upon this, which I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong about this theory. But the three main events for Crown Jewel. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm is Tyson Fury versus Braun Strowman. Yep. Tyson yep. Fury, linear boxing champion, getting ready for his rematch against Deontay Wilder. Uh, I'm fearing that he's going to run through Braun, and it, that's going to be a squash. R.I.P. Braun. Yeah, which... Again. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Braun for a lot of money, reportedly. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, listen. A lot of money. <laughs> he's it, not going to not get paid. <laughs> right. Then you have Bray Wyatt versus... Seth Rollins in a false, false count, count anywhere. anywhere match, which had better not end in a count out. I saw that Ryan said and tweeted that out, <laughs> and I fully agree with that too. But with what they did with this character now, you burned the Firefly Funhouse down. Right. Was that a sense that Vince maybe has already soured on the gimmick? No, uh, the thing I reportedly read was that it was them writing it out because Fox might not have been so high on the angle. That's what I'm thinking, that they're already killing the new angle of Bray Wyatt. Well, I mean, that's what's so weird, and why the draft and the split and everything and going with these matches going into you know the, that show um, is just so odd because it's like it's, he's on SmackDown, Seth is on Raw, you know, you figure that, you know, you would have wrapped everything up you know, at that at, at hell in the cell, why would you want to do it again? Why would you want to touch on it? It just didn't work the first time. Doing a no DQ is not going to make it any better or it falls count anywhere. My guess is it probably finishes in the Firefly Funhouse. Which Maybe. is now left in ashes. Yeah. Right. Which, well, that's what I'm saying. I think it, they'll, you know, they'll make some magic and make a fire pit and, 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 and some ashes, and, and that's where the match is. And did anybody question how did Seth find the way to the Firefly Funhouse? Well, he just no. tweeted that he followed him there, you know, that he led him there. So, I mean, and that's a weird thing, too. What are they going to do with Seth's character? All right, so now after this whole thing and he moves on to Raw, where does Seth go from here? I think Seth turns heel. He, and, yeah, and, I I, think, and I have a weird feeling that the Fiend is going to be like the Venom symbiote 
and then like just, somehow just corrupts Seth and makes Seth evil. Well, if, I mean, listen, and he, goes he, to heel. he and Randy Orton now have something in common in burning down <laughs> buildings that are owned by Bray Wyatt. I mean, yeah. listen, if that turns Seth into like a monster heel, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm not in for the chicken shit heel again. I, I They've agree done that business, and it's not good. I, I mean, you think about it, though. They kind of need a big heel on Raw now because, okay, Braun Strowman's gone. You can't kind of do the float in between thing like you did with him. You know, Bobby Lashley's tied up with his whole god-awful, god-awful thing. Next. You know, Brock Lesnar's gone, so you can't have him come out attacking people for no reason. So you need a heel. Oh, I know who. The OC. Well, Ken's fave. Yeah. Well, my fave, formerly known as Bullet Club, which uh, I do have to say my name. Yeah. No, I will not say (laughs) OC. No. But I will say this. It would be nice to see AJ get pushed to be the top heel and be the top faction. They need more people, though. I think if it's AJ Styles as, like, an actual, like, not the jokester that we've seen the last few weeks on, you know, both shows, and he's actually a full-blown, you know, not funny heel, not comedy heel, but a heel heel Mm -hmm. with, you know, the Luke with Gallows and Anderson, I think that will work. But, yeah, if it's more comedy bits, then I don't want Seth involved with that. And then where do you go? Well, that's why I say you're ultimately going to have him versus Aleister Black, and I think that that's where they're going to push Seth as a heel. Well, yeah, because Aleister Black works as a face for sure. Yeah, because I'm going to say Bray Wyatt will corrupt him, and this will be like how they kind of write off the gimmick, which don't get me wrong. I love the Fiend gimmick. I just think that when they burned the house down, that I was like, all right, they're already saying they're transitioning, which I don't want – them to but do. you got to do something else with him other than have him appear on TV in a pre-recorded segment 52 weeks a year. Oh, no, I, I grant you. Like, he's had two matches, and all he's done is run out, attack veterans, and run back. Well, it's like I said, though, like, where, you know, the I get the Firefly Funhouse, but how does it translate to The Fiend? And I think that's kind of the disconnect that have been that's been missing i mean at least for finn balor when he's the demon you know they talk about how he segues into that character so it kind of makes sense in a way like the fiend was just it was randomness it was okay this is how he comes out and wrestled but they never told the story why he comes out to wrestle that way which i think is what missed because if it would have been like hi you know the firefly funhouse but you know i send the fiend to do my bit like something like that then it would have fit but you never got that explanation, and it missed. No, we definitely didn't. So, obviously, I think that that feud ends at Crown Jewel. Uh, it has to end because he's on SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, and then the, then the big news to crown that out, though, no pun intended. Hey! Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez, who has now signed a multi-year deal. Uh-huh. Big money. Big money deal to come to WWE. Yep. Uh, Wonder what his schedule is going to be like? I I think he's actually going to be wrestling, wrestling. Well, I heard that he's holding off knee surgery, though, so he can do the Crown Jewel. And then kind of go from there. Yeah, because I think that whatever happens there, if, if it's like a no D or if it's a DQ or some kind of weird finish, then Kane can get written off, get his knee surgery, come back and be a absolute monster. Or if he's going to be waiting for possibly Daniel Cormier to get done with the UFC and come join him, and then maybe that's something that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm listen from what we said and what we've talked about. You know, go out and look for Kane Velasquez's stuff on Twitter. You know, it's all over the web. He can go in the ring, so I think it's going to be a ton of fun. He can it, do moves that a man his size should not be able to do. Yeah, and I think it will be very interesting to see. You know, really outside of Braun, when's the last time Brock's really faced a, a guy? in a WWE ring of similar size to him. Samoa Joe, maybe. 
Well, I mean that's similar, you know, yeah, yeah, weight, no, but no, not no, but no, but stature. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking yeah, you know, like just who has physically looked like they can actually fight with Brock. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see. Like, you know, for so long now we've been so used to you know Suplex City and all that stuff. It's going to be very interesting to see him in the ring with somebody that you know it's not going to be believable yeah. that he's just giving him 17 German suplexes. I'll say yeah, he's going to go up to a guy who. He, can't exactly German suplex. And and it will be interesting to see Kane work with him because Kane, on the flip side, hasn't worked with a guy of Brock style. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see like where they meet in the middle and, and how that match presents itself. Yeah, it's going to be something we're watching. I mean, obviously, to sum this segment up, though, with the WWE draft, there's now a lot of moving parts that are mm-hmm. established. There's some that we don't know yet. There's Obviously, Crown Jewel is going to be where everything is kind of set in stone, so to speak, of where the directions are going to be going for each character. You would think. I think Bray Wyatt is going to go through transition. Whatever happens with Brock and Kane is going to be something. I fear Braun is now going to get buried because of the whole Duh. Tyson Fury thing. God. So where they're going from here is going to be must-see TV, good or bad. But the direction that Raw is in, I think they won the draft. I think that their roster is more geared towards Paul Heyman. I'm not saying it's going to be ECW 2.0 or 3.0 technically. but So New Jack's not coming out? <laughs> oh, if only. If only. I, I no, I think you're right. I think Raw won it, and I think it's going to be a very yeah. solid show moving forward once they get players in the roles. Yes. Yeah. So obviously they're going to have a lot of work cut out for them moving ahead, but I think they took steps in the right direction. SmackDown's a little more in flux. Obviously Eric Bush, Bischoff's out the door. Bruce Pitcher took over in one month. Yeah. Thirty days. So Eric Bischoff. I expect to hear a little bit more about that in the upcoming days. But wherever the SmackDown goes. They do have the star power, so to speak, so they're going to be in good shape either way. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the WWE draft? Who won, who lost, and where do you think the superstars are going to break out, and which ones do you think are going to fall to the wayside? Definitely want to know. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. On a podcast. (laughs) Sorry. On a podcast. Anyway, I'm going to start closing up the One Movie Punch secret volcano layer, and we'll meet you back at home. With a secret volcano layer. Wait, wait, a volcano layer, really? Uh, uh, with a secret volcano layer, one podcast host just can't seem to get a break. This October. Oh, what happened? Joseph is forced to survive by any means possible. Who keeps a parking lot full of wood chippers? In a serial audio drama of adventures. Blood. Blood everywhere. Fountains and fountains of blood. That can only be called Reign of Terror 2019. Join us in October 2019 for 31 straight days of horror movie reviews and interviews featuring Joseph, the One Movie Crunch crew, 17 podcast guest reviewers, special guests, and me, your narrator, Shane Hyde. Don't miss Reign of Terror 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, does this mean I miss Joker? No. Two, three, four. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, 
back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, start us off with that local minute. Yeah, of course, talking local minute, we got to talk a little Binghamton Devils hockey. Yes, hey, that's right. They are hey. back. Uh, the games last week, they had two games against the Bellevue Senators. Uh, the game on Friday, they lost by the final score of 2-1. to one. Uh, And then on their game on Saturday, they lost in overtime by a final score of 5-4. to four. Looking ahead to their games this week, uh, they are on the road still. Uh, they have a game this Wednesday uh, at 7.05 against the Penguins. And then Friday, they have a game at 7.05 against the Phantoms. Uh, they do not, although they do return home on Saturday, October 19th, 7.05 p.m. against the Wolfpack. That stadium is going to be empty, though, because on October 19th, the Binghamton Bulldogs kick off Bulldog their basketball season. season. Back, baby. They play uh, at uh, 7.05 against the Elite Kings. Okay. Uh, they just had their red and white scrimmage, so you know I, I think they're going to be announcing the roster at some point here. I mean... I don't think things were finalized, so I kind of you know silence out of that with who's going to be making the roster and everything. But the most interesting thing is small, small ball is in ball because they are tiny. Yeah, it's going to be very guard heavy. Guard heavy, yeah. Both. And unfortunately, Monty Anderson moved on to Europe. He's going to be playing overseas this year. Congrats to him. Big departure though for the Bulldogs. A lights out three point shooter. Going to be tough, you know, a difficult loss for them to to fill that void because, I mean, when he was hot from three, that kid was a monster. Yeah, it was definitely a crushing blow to the Bulldogs. But Bulldog season is in full effect like you touched upon, Coach, and obviously this is going to be a tough challenge for them because they don't have the height that they usually do on the and, lineup, as we've seen thus far. So, I mean, this could be subject to change. And it was last year with injuries and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, obviously, this is going to be a huge game against the Elite Kings yeah. of Queens, which is like our coach touched upon Saturday October 15th, St. Pat's Gym, BinghamtonBulldogs.com for more information and for more information on the AHL, Binghamton Devils, BinghamtonDevils.com. Mm-hmm. So let's round those bases before we take it home, shall we? Sure. I'm uh, going to start over with me. Talking a little postseason baseball because it is in full swing. Uh, looking at the American League Championship Series, you have the New York Yankees going up against the Houston Astros. That series is tied one game apiece. The Yankees took game one. Houston fought back and took game two. Uh, they are currently playing right now as we record where the Yankees are currently down 3 nothing in the top of the seventh inning, so things not looking good. Uh, however, the series that's been absolutely wild to me to see is got to be over in the National League Championship Series where you have the St. Louis Cardinals going up against the Washington Nationals. Washington making it to the championship series for the first time since they've been back in Washington. Uh, and, and funnily enough, Bryce Harper might have predicted the future when he uh, mistakenly in the offseason said, we want to bring a championship back to Washington because hey, they're one game away from making it to the World Series. Washington is just buzzsawing through yeah. St. Louis with their pitching. Yeah, no, they're just buzzsawing through them. Like you said, uh, they had a game last night uh, on Monday night where they defeated the St. Louis Cardinals by a final score of 8-1. to Steven Strasburg pitching a masterful performance, striking out 12. Uh, game four is tonight as we record on Tuesday. Uh, it is at 8.05 Eastern on TBS where it is uh, Dakota Hudson going up against Corbin. You know, must-win scenario for the St. Louis Cardinals. Can they win it? Can they stave off elimination? Who's to say? You never know. This has been an interesting series to watch. Washington getting there, I think, yeah. would be absolutely bonkers. It'd be wild. It'd be bonkers. Wild. And to flip the coin, though, Houston and the Yankees has been a tough series. Pad, let me ask you this on air. Uh-huh. 
What did you think of Game Two's decision about pulling Paxson and and obviously that kind of set up for the next home run that got hit that kind of tipped the game in Houston's favor? I mean, you had to. He was tipping pitches. Yeah, he was tipping pitches, and I forget who it was, but there was a Bleacher Report app notified me of what, there was a video of one of the Astros players making it to first base, looking at his dugout and mouthing clear as day when you put the video in slow motion. Uh, glove and then making some sort of like signal to the dugout that hey he's tipping his pitches again which Paxton is has done in the past it's it was a crucial moment in the game and Boone tried doing what he could do and obviously yeah. led to a game-changing home run that Houston and the Yankees are going to scrap it's, oh, not yeah. gonna, it's not gonna be an easy series by no. any means uh, yeah it's gonna be I mean i not being the baseball guy even I've been pay- paying attention to this because of the, I mean from last year to this year it's just yeah. gonna be a Knock them, drag them, sock them out, you know, type yeah, series. Yeah. And it absolutely has. I mean, when the Yankees beat Zach Greinke in the first game, that was huge. Oh, a massive. They needed to get at least one away from Houston. Going against Justin Verlander. Verlander is drinking something in the Fountain of Youth, oh, and yeah. he is still pitching at a high level at his age. And the Yankees, like I said, when you get too up a run on them, that's when you have to capitalize. And they gave up a very crucial home run. Oh, yeah. And going in extra innings, you knew it was going to be tough. But when they got to the seventh inning and they had zero outs and they had runners on first and second, couldn't move anybody over, it was a tough break for yeah. them. So, obviously, that game, you knew something was going to happen and it went right in Houston's favor. Yeah. And then looking at game three, Garrett Cole coming to the Bronx. Uh, what can you say? Garrett's pitching lights well, he's out. A, he's a master. Yeah, Severino did what he could, but he gave a big home run to El Tuve. Right, but the thing with Severino is, you know, he, he had the injury earlier in the season. This is only like his fourth or fifth start. So whereas, you know, these other pitchers, in the, and this isn't, you know, making excuses for Severino. You know, you're in the majors. You're the supposed to be the ace of the staff. You're supposed to be, you know, their best pitcher. But he, his pitching arm is essentially in like April. Mm-hmm. Or even spring training, he didn't get spring training to have those bad games and work out the kinks and then work through the season and work through all that. He's at the beginning of the year where these guys are like weathered and conditioned and ready to go. Yeah, so obviously they're gonna make some quick adjustments in a hurry if they go down two one tonight. As if the score holds up as it is right now, game four is a must win. Oh, absolutely. You can't afford to go down to Houston. No, two games where you have Grinky coming back and they have Verlander and Cole waiting. Oh yeah, it's just not. You gotta gonna, get one. That's not gonna happen. So obviously we will be talking and tweeting about this all through the series fun baseball time in october man you can't go mm-hmm. wrong with that coach what do you have for your base this week? i have that it's the nfl trade deadline Ooh, and okay. players are being moved already the rams have traded an an interesting trade at that the rams have traded uh pro bowl cornerback peters to the ravens uh for a later round pick which is an interesting trade given the fact that the uh, Rams defensively have not looked great, so trading you know an elite corner like that is an interesting move. And uh, the Cleveland Browns traded their starting center uh, today as well. So I mean, obviously the the NFL can be a little more quiet as far as the, the trades go. So it's always an interesting um, thing to see players move in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. You don't hear too many trades happening with the NFL that much. I mean, obviously you hear about somebody getting released and picked up. But at this stage of the season, you don't really hear about a lot of moves. So this is kind of interesting that we're actually hearing some. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, it, it's going to be quiet. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to hear, you know, superstar or why get traded right now because right. most of those trades happen more towards the off season. But mm. I mean, there will be some smaller moves that might make for big season pushes. Oh, yeah. yeah, obviously, teams are getting ready to make a playoff push. I mean. Almost halfway through the season, so definitely you're going to see some teams gearing up, whether it's somebody off the practice squad or somebody off waivers. You're going to see teams lining up their rosters. Trade deadline is no different, so definitely something to watch moving Uh forward. 
So for mine, I have two for the bases. Now, one, we have been talking wrestling on the show, and the feedback has been great, so we thank everybody that's been digging the running the rope segment. We also have to give a quick shout-out to Three Fat Nerds. Now, they have decided to cancel their weekly uh, Three Fat Nerds on Wrestling show. They're going to be doing two 3FN shows, so 3FN flagship show and 3FN weekend, so there's kind of that. But what we've announced on the show, or was announced rather, is Rich from 3FN and I are teaming up to do a monthly wrestling podcast. Okay. Oh. Now, it's going to be Rich, myself, Lou from Pint of Comics, which if you follow our Twitters during wrestling shows, Lou and I are going back and forth the entire time. And we are going to have also multiple guests coming on, do it once a month, just talk everything in the world of wrestling. The start date will be in November. We don't have an official date or name, but that is going to be coming down on the hashtag 607 Podcast Network. So whether we start at the 8122 Production Studios or we do it here, we're going to start doing that. We're going to get some people involved and just talk pro wrestling because, like I said, the segments we do here have been great, but we're just going to extend into a one full show per month with everybody. So stay tuned to 8122productions.com for more information and obviously OchoDuroParleyHour.com for more information on that when that comes out in November because that's going to be a big deal when that happens. And let me round the base with some UFC talk because we haven't talked about that in a little bit. To recap the fight card that happened this past weekend, mm-hmm. um, Fight Night one or 161, there was some solid fights. Okay. One we have to give a notable shout-out to, and that's to Nico Price, who follows the ODPH. Shout-out to Nico, who won with one of the most devastating up kicks. Say, so when's the last time you saw that one? Not in a long time. It's been a while. I was trying to think of like the last time might have been like I think Nate Diaz. I'm not. Somebody hit me up it on, would on be. Twitter. I, I like it was something. It would be a Diaz brother. But Nico scraps and he knocked out James Vick in the first round with that up kick. It looked absolutely brutal. So shout out to him. ODPH Karma worked there. So definitely shout outs, shout outs, and shout outs. Cub Swanson defeated Con Gracie in a highly contested decision. Uh, he got the nod for it. It was a back-and-forth battle. Cub pulled it out. And in the main event, Joanna Jurjacek defeated Michelle Watterson by unanimous decision. Uh, Jurjacek is coming for that belt for the strawweight title. Uh-huh. So get ready for that. There is a fight card this weekend in Boston, and I only want to touch upon two fights that are happening. One is the co-main event, and it's a rematch between one Yair Rodriguez okay. and one Jeremy Stevens. Ooh. Now, Pad, do you know why that's relevant? Uh, I'm struggling to recall it. Remember the melee in Mexico? Yes. This is the rematch. Oh, Lord. The, the uh, eye scratch that Jeremy oh, Stevens suffered oh, is now healed. Oh. There is bad blood oh, galore for this oh, fight. Oh, Lord. Coach, I know you don't have a pick in this, but I'm going to tell you right now. Pray, yeah, thank pray, you. pray for Yair. Pray for Yair. All right. Jeremy Stevens is going to be a man possessed. Oh, yeah. You don't want to piss off Jeremy Stevens. Even Jer- I know that. Jeremy Stevens is a man who needs no motivation. And, no. And when you give man said motivation, it is like a freight train coming downhill. Uh, Yair Rodriguez gave him enough motivation for maybe three lifetimes when he alleged that Stevens faked his eye injury. Yeah, that was enough to, to set him off. They almost got into it in the hotel. This is going to be a fun fight, and as long as this doesn't get stopped by a damn eye poke, I am predicting Jeremy Stevens, second-round knockout. To quote Terrell Owens, get your popcorn ready. This is going to be absolutely brutal. I mean, if it doesn't end in the first, it is 1,000% going to end in the second. Yeah, I do not see this going to a decision by any means. Like, some crazy nonsense is going to happen in this one. The main event, though, is Dominic Reyes versus Chris Weidman in a Ooh. light heavyweight title okay. fight. Um, it's not a holiday weekend, so I am taking Dominic Reyes. <laughs> Uh, because that's Chris Weidman is usually even money fighting on July 4th weekend. So, but him stepping up to light heavyweight, I don't know what to expect really. Reyes is a hot prospect name. 
I don't know if he's ready for John Jones yet. I think there's only one man that we are rooting for here at the ODPH to fight John, and that is Johnny Walker. Let's go. Yes. So this one, I think Reyes is going to win by decision. Um, it should be an interesting fight. I am rooting for Chris Weidman. I always do. But uh, him stepping up to 205, I think it's going to be a tough task for him fighting Reyes. So more information on that. It's going to be on ESPN Plus this weekend. So definitely check that out wherever you check out your UFC fights. And speaking of ESPN, they just broke a story saying the California State Athletic Commission v- or votes to cancel fights if fighters come in over 15% above the contracted weight on fight day. Oof. Thoughts around the panel on this one? I uh, can't say I'm surprised. Doesn't New York do something similar where it's like they'll, they have a certain like pounds you can be within on either side of the weight you're supposed to be at? But if you're not in that like range the fights canceled so okay like it's your job to be at weight and fight these guys so you have no excuse i I fully agree on that yeah i completely agree i mean not only that just from the standpoint of you know it can be very dangerous with those cuts as you wait for weigh-in so i mean i i'm all for it i think it's safer for the fighters at the same time i mean this like you said pad this is their job so if you can't come in on weight, and I think Dana White was famous for saying that during one of the tough enoughs. You know, if you can't make weight and that's your job going into a fight, then you shouldn't. You don't. You don't deserve to fight. Oh, I agree. I mean, we've had Vince Atoli on the common man from Crow's Nest MMA, and he's talked about that too. And he's and uh, even uh, King of Lyle, Luke Visengard. I mean, they said your your job is to make weight. It's a tough job, but you have to make weight when you're a professional fighter. So obviously, I stand by this rule, and I think that you definitely have to abide by that. So that being said, let us go into locks and leaps and i will kick us off because usually i'm tying everybody Uh so i want to kick this off so if anybody else is copying me we can definitely say this my lock this week i am taking those la rams against the falcons the falcons are falcons the falcons are a joke i mean you're not taking your buffalo bills against the miami dolphins who are currently favored by 17 see here's the thing i think the bills are going to win i just worry they're not going to cover the spread because (laughs) because i think it's one of those teams that okay, Miami. You've heard I've said is not even a college team. They're below that right now. I think they're awful, and I've been very vocal about my hatred for Miami about this. I'm sorry. I think the Bills might play down to their opponent, but they'll still get the win. I just think it's going to be a lot closer than 17 points. I hope it's a blowout. I hope it's like 41 to three. But for this competition for locks and leaps, I'm definitely taking the Rams. Like I said, the Falcons don't scare me at all. Um, I think this should be a blowout in their own right, maybe a 10-point win. So I know the point spread is currently three. And for my leap, maybe I'm just feeling sympathetic for the Lions. They are currently underdogs by a point and a half to Minnesota. Hmm. And they're home, I'm thinking, maybe some home cooking to bounce back after that atrocious and egregious 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 game. In Lambeau Field. I am taking the Lions on this one. Okay. So, Pad, what you got? Well, uh, for my lock, I'm going to take the Green Bay Packers against the Oakland Raiders. Currently, Green Bay is favored by six points. Green Bay, five five and one at home game for them. A little home cooking. I think they're going to be able to do that one and win that game. Uh, For my leap, I'm looking at the New Orleans Saints and Chicago Bears game, where currently Chicago is favored by three points. Uh, Bears, three and two. Mitchell Trubisky might play, might not. Last I'd read, he did practice on Monday, so... You know who's to say we'll have to wait until cl- uh, close to game time. But you know, hot, you know, we'll talk about hot hand the first segment and everything else. You know, Bridgewater's playing good and five and one defense is really stepping up. So I think the Saints are going to be able to pull this one off. Coach, your lock and leap. My lock is the G men. Oh boy, going Uh-oh. against the Cardinals. Oh, west to east coast, one o'clock game. Things are pointing in my favor. Three point favorites right now. The Giants are. 
I definitely think that if they cover, it's going to be like a four-point win. It's not going to be a blowout. Uh, Arizona's defense is garbage. The Giants' defense is garbage. Danny Dimes is on fire. Kyle Murray's playing well. It's going to be a shootout. I like it. You know, I was watching a few different sports shows this week, and they were actually saying, who would you rather have, Danny Dimes or Kyler Murray? That's tough. Now, I'm asking That's you. Tough. I mean, you're asking me. Listen, I mean, Danny Dimes almost went in and did the only thing that only one other quarterback's been able to do, and that's Eli Manning, and almost beat the Patriots. So I'm going to ride Danny Dimes till I die. All right. You heard it here for, first, folks. And then my leap. I had it, and then I lost it. Give me a second. My leap is going to be. I apologize. It's me talking Danny Dimes. I got yeah, you got, me, you got me so distracted with that. My leap is going to be. The uh, Chargers going into Tennessee at a 405 game. I'm implementing a strategy that I heard. Anytime Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans are the favorite, you go the opposite way and you take the underdog. So I'm taking the Chargers. They're two-point underdogs right now. I like it. I to, like the Chargers right to now. Quote the Terminator: "Goal, Chargers, goal." I mean, listen, they played very bad on Sunday night, leaving a very bad taste in their mouth. They're away from their hometown, which I guess was Pittsburgh. Yeah, Somehow, yeah. Pittsburgh upped and moved to Los Angeles magically overnight. Science, yeah, I, science, right? So, I'm liking the Chargers away from home. Go Chargers, go! Let's be honest. The Chargers' home field is San Diego and Qualcomm Field. Their home field is anywhere but Los Angeles right yeah. now. I'm sorry. At least I think that's the name of the stadium. It's San Diego. Let's get it right. And get, they need the powder blues, and they need to pull some magic off. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a lot. The point spread, I think, is fitting. Sure. Well, that's why I like it because, I mean, Tennessee right now in flux, Mariota, Tannehill. Tannehill what are they going to do? No, Tannehill They got named Tannehill a starter. All right, that's so perfect. Give me, uh, give me more of the Chargers then if Tannehill is going to be the favorite. I think uh, Melvin Gordon was able to kind of get some things going. Phil Rivers talking trash, dragging kids to the sideline. Putting them in timeout, you know, saying you can't do this. I, I like it. I like it. Oh, it's gonna be a fun game on Sunday. It's gonna be a lot of fun games this week. Oh. Better, way better than last week. Listen, if the Giants lose after I call them a favorite again, I'm gonna be upset and I'll never pick them again because I would be a walking jinx. Well, we're gonna see if the if the coach effect is in full effect. Oh boy, let's, very let, nervous. Let, Giants fans, you know who to blame hey, if so, they lose. Listen, hey Saquon. Possibly back, maybe back. I don't know. Practicing, possibly. I've got fingers crossed. If he's back, I definitely like the Giants. We might have to tweet this show to him and see if he actually listens again. So, hey, I mean, we motivated him last time, so we will have to listen. See what I mean, if 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 the ankle's not there, hold him out. But if he's back, I mean, Evan Ingram might come back. So they've got some things working back. I mean, literally, they played against the Patriots with a practice squad. So yeah. if they have a full roster, I don't know. Sky's the limit. Pad, your thoughts on that? Nothing. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, he can't. It's because it's the truth. I mean, they had seven players out, Pat. You can't. What can you say? I mean, it, it's a fair statement. I was at the I was at the theaters watching Joker, and I didn't see most of the game. So, well, there you go. I'll tell you that when you have Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, Wayne Galeman, and a who's who of everybody else out. It's going to make for any tough day for any team. It definitely will. So, obviously, a lot of action going to happen this Sunday. We'll have to see if we're right or wrong. Definitely follow all that action on OchoDuroParleyHour.com and our Facebook page, which will have the Locks and Leafs rankings up later this week. So get ready for it's that. It's not good for me. <laughs> I know that much. No, Rich from 3FN is currently the leader, but Pat and I are right on his heels. Ron is catching up, too. It's 
All right, but am I dead last right no, now? La- no, okay. No, D- right. Diesel is last. Yes! Uh, Diesel. It's been a rough go. Yeah. It's been a rough go for me, people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've not. Thank God that I don't actually gamble because I would be in some debt. Yeah, we would have to start like an extreme like Patreon account. Oh, yeah. Like, I would have to be like hiding from a bookie, telling <laughs> them my arm's broken or something. Like, it'd be bad news bears. It would be Coach Duffy on assignment for the rest <laughs> of the year as, as he's getting tracked yeah, down. Yeah, because they'd be They'd know where I am. Exactly. The music you heard on this episode is that of Fair City Fire. You can find their information on the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour website, OchoDuroParlayHour.com. Ocho I'm too worked up because I'm thinking Coach is like going to be going on the run after the show. I'm going to be hiding underneath the table doing the show. Right. But if you go Calling to, in remotely. Yeah. If you go to the ODPH website, you can find links to the, all the music you hear on the show. Hashtag 607 Podcast, Friends of the Show, Parlay Points, all the blogs. Everything that you need that is ODPH is at OchoDuroParlayHour.com. That's all we got for this week for your coach, my coach, the coach, before he goes on the run, Coach Duffy. <laughs> Good night and don't gamble. <laughs> for Padawan Jay. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast. Go Bills. We'll see you next time.